Hey, and welcome to episode 37 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I'm Josh filling in as host today for Brendan. Well, on today's episode, Ken, Jason, and I sit down to discuss Romans 13 verses 1 through 7. We discuss the idea of God-given authority when it comes to the leaders that we've been given. We talk about how these verses apply to us as believers in 21st century America. We have an honest conversation about our own beliefs when it comes to war and revolution and violence. And then we finish out by discussing how we can use our freedoms to better equip our kids to be disciples within the culture that we live in. As always, if you haven't listened to the sermon yet, I'd recommend you hit pause right now and do so because it will help this episode make much more sense to you. We hope you enjoy this episode and let's jump in. Well, hey, happy Monday, guys. Happy Monday to you, too. Hey, Brendan, do you have a cold? <laughs> <laughs> well uh, said. That is, that's good. Uh, Brendan is out uh, today, so it's uh, me, Josh, and then Jason and Kenny, because he preached this weekend. So. Yeah. Probably does sound a little different. It does sound a little different. <clears throat> Surprise, everybody. Yeah. So how are you guys doing? I am well. Slept well. Heavy and hard. That's nice. I bet after preaching, it's always a... Yeah, my throat was uh, a little scratchy for the afternoon. You know, you don't. I made sure I didn't sing during worship because that just adds fuel to the fire. Jason, how are you doing? I'm great. I didn't preach yesterday, so <laughs> so, <yeah. clears throat> so I just got all the questions of, "Hey, got a day off today?" Yeah. I said, "Yeah, just like Kenny does every week." <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Only work on Sundays. <laughs> But evidently, you don't work if you're not preaching. That's, That's right. That's what I'm saying. So. That's lean into it, brother. Lean into it. It's great work if you can get it. It is. You can do it. Yeah. Um, so uh, we, Jason brought to our attention a news article, uh, which is interesting because I know, Jason, you were just on a plane recently. I was on a plane recently. Kenny, have you flown pretty recently? Yeah, in the end of March. So um, there was an American airline flight that was hit by a bird mid-flight. Like, it's in the air, and it catches fire. One of the articles that Jason said, it says, passengers crying, which would make sense. <laughs> For sure. It'd right? be a little terrifying. So, how are you guys flying? Like, are you nervous flyers? Do you enjoy flying? Like, what's your response? And then, how do you think you would respond in that moment if a bird hit your plane? I might need new underwear. <laughs> So I'm a I'm I'm not a nervous flyer. So you've been you've done it a bunch. You just you know that things are going to happen and turbulence and that kind of stuff. But if you're sitting there and you're looking out the window and there's a video of this, you're sitting there looking out the window and there are flames shooting by your window. That'd be I, I don't know. I don't care who you are. You're gonna yeah, you're going to be pinching a plug out of your seat. Like, that's going to happen. You're going to be scared. And I guaranteed there were more people praying on that flight than had prayed the previous month in their life. Do you, oh, do you yeah. tell people, like, 
Did it come out like I'm a pastor, and then you got all the people surrounding you like, pray for me, pastor, <laughs> absolve me, absolve I, I, me. I pray for uneventful flights. That's the way I like to fly. Yeah, no, nothing late, no drama. My baggage shows up. That's what I like. Uneventful so, travel. So you you just don't want to have your life in any way um, inconvenient. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> okay, so I don't know why I had five children because that threw that whole idea in the. <laughs> Yeah. You sp- I got to tell you this, speaking of flying, we had, we, me, Lisa, my son, Gavin, and daughter, Gianna, had the opportunity to get in a helicopter like a week and a half or two weeks ago. Uh, that would have been great. We hiked Havasupai Falls, and we're leaving, and there's a helicopter that's currying all kinds of stuff in and out of the village, and I, there's this like kiosk stand set up. I said, I'm expecting it to be like a $500 trip, and I said, how much is it for a ride out? He said, 100 bucks, and I, I like stopped in my tracks. I'm like, Lisa. It's $400. It's four of us. But hiking out is part of the experience. Well, taking a helicopter would be a pretty great experience, You've hiked out before. Well, not there. Yes, true. She did. She and Gavin had hiked out at Havasupai, and Gianna and I had never done that. So if I do that again, I'm taking that ride out. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know about a helicopter. I've never been on one. Me neither. For 100 bucks, I could do it. Just seems a little more dicey. They are a little more dicey. Yeah, and we have a few helicopter pilots in our church. They can. We do tell us about it, but they got. But yeah, so I I enjoy flying. I love that I don't have to do anything. I like the whole fact that I get in and somebody else takes me somewhere and drops me off. If I could fly home from right here, I would every day, (laughs) every single day. I would do it. It would be a. Three minute flight. It would See, be, it would you take should take a helicopter. Take off than you, it would be a helicopter. Take a helicopter yeah. from here. You know, when we do the building in Prescott Valley, maybe there needs to be a helipad. It didn't work out for Kobe. Just, I know. That's ooh. why being flying is, or helicopter flying, not. Because Kobe? Yeah. And he did it a lot. Oh, he did. Yeah. Because imagine LA traffic. So, Prescott, you're a bit privileged, Josh. You don't know <laughs> Prescott traffic. I am privileged. I mean, LA traffic, I could see. <laughs> okay. I'll share with you. Here was the one time it got a little dicey on a flight. Uh, when Kelly and I went to go pick up Eli, okay, so we're flying to Korea, and the day we get there is the day that the Malaysian airline disappears. Do you remember this story? I sure do. That was the first of several issues with that airplane. Malaysia 380 disappears, like it goes off the map, and they can't find it. Nobody knows what happens. And so while we're in Korea... There's only like a couple of English stations and they're news stations. And they're, that's all they're talking about is where is this plane? Where did it go? Did it go down? They had, you know, spotty uh, communication here and then it just dropped off. And then it looks like he turned left and went for a long time and nobody, did he blow the thing up? Did he put it down intentionally? What happened? Did somebody hijack? Like there's all of these questions surrounding what's going on with this plane. And three, I don't know, a couple, 300 people died. And they're showing these airports filled with people just crying and screaming, wondering where their family members are. So we go through that for a week. And then we get on a plane from Southeast Asia. Sounds terrible. To fly back across the Pacific Ocean. With this child that we just adopted, and he doesn't know who we are, and I always try to put it in people's mind like this. Imagine you got Amos. Amos is almost, what, a year and a half? He's almost, almost two. two. He'll be two in the end of June. So, Eli was two when we picked him up. 
Okay, and had no idea. So, so just I'm imagine. bet Amos was a little bit is a little bit bigger. He than is. Eli. He's as big as Eli now. <laughs> <laughs> but imagine if some family from Vietnam came and picked Amos up and begins to take him back to Vietnam, and Amos doesn't know the language. He's never seen people who look like this on a regular basis. He doesn't eat the same food, but. He, you're you walk Amos into a room, the person he's known his whole life, and then you walk out and this Vietnam family, Vietnamese family, pick him up and put him on a plane and fly him away. That's what my son went through. And so obviously that comes with some trauma. And he's screaming and crying on the flight the whole way. I'll bet. And then the, we get over the Pacific, and we hit terrible turbulence. I mean, like, you're dropping 40, 50 feet kind of turbulence. And it... Just, they, they won't call it turbulence anymore. They call it rough air. Rough air, whatever <laughs> you want to call it. Potholes in the sky, brother. <laughs> Potholes was, in the sky. It was rough for about two hours. And so I'm sitting there in this turbulence, and my son is crying, and my wife is crying, and I'm just sitting there looking at them both thinking... Are, are we are we making it home? Are we going to get I, home today? I hope we crash this crying stop. I think stops. this thing can go down. So that was the worst moment. I don't know if it's worse than seeing flames flying out of the window, but it was a pretty – that was a long 13-hour flight. Oof. Mm, those are long flights. Everybody crying. <laughs> yes. Everybody crying. Where'd that plane end up landing? Do you know? The one that with the bird strike? Uh, they just flipped around yeah. and was able to get back. Oh, so it was pretty quick, I yeah. guess. Yeah, they said they still had another engine. Um, they were able to make it back. Yeah. So, um, no worries. There is so, there's like a bunch of... There's a couple pilots I did talk to. One of the guys that goes to church here. There's like three different backups to the backups to the backups. You know, anytime there's a mechanical issue, it's not usually because, like, the number one thing is messed up. It's, like, thing number three. Like, there are so many rules and regulations. Yes. Which is, uh, what book was that? Oh, Gladwell wrote a book about flying. Michael Gladwell talking about all the regulations and stuff and so all the things that are in there. So sometimes, though, when pilots need to maneuver, it's harder to because you just autopilot that thing. So you've lost some of those flying skills. Mm. So it's a really interesting read. But I always think of that when I'm flying. But I love flying anyways. So Malcolm Gladwell's always got interesting stuff to say. He does. He just pretty, makes you think. Yes. Makes you think. Well, we do have um, some questions to get into. So I want to jump into that. But first off, um, obviously, uh, Kenny preached this weekend, did an excellent job. Um, I know you just your honesty was super appreciated. You just wrestling through that text. Oh, yes. Uh, just I think that came out. I think everybody, at least where I was in Prescott Valley this weekend, that first you know five ten minutes, everybody was like, "Yeah, right there with you." <laughs> I don't know how everybody ended. If they felt the same <laughs> conviction, we hope that they did. Uh, but I thought you did a really good job, Jason. What do you think? I think everything Kenny said only applies to Kenny, and we need to put a disclaimer out. Not <laughs> everyone in the organization he, can be held responsible. <laughs> no. So I told him on, I don't know, what was it? We did the run through Wednesday or Thursday. I thought it was a great message, uh, one of the best, most concise that you've done. So uh, I, was, <clears throat> I was really glad uh, that you were able to fit this in and make it happen, and uh begin this conversation that is really important for us to have 
Yeah. Well, that's why we do this. Yeah. Anything uh, that we weren't able to get to, just looking at the text, anything, Jason, you would have maybe added into just as you look at those verses? Ken, anything that you had that I know we did some cuts um, just because of length. There was a lot to get in there. So anything you had to leave out that we were like, man, I wish I could have said this. You know, I don't think it's so much about things that got left out or you just don't have the time to offer other perspectives, right? Like you just, okay, let's go with the text and which we should do is take the text and let's roll with it. Uh, Cause I think this is a text that you could, lots of people, I think, explain it away uh, and not looking to explain it away, but they just come out, they come to different conclusions based off maybe different experiences or, uh, so I think we could try to explain all that, but you just don't have the, the time. And nor is it, I don't know, like I said, man, when Jesus when Jesus comes in and says, you have authority because God gave it to you, I'm like, oh, okay, I don't really like that. And I don't have to like that, but I bet God knows better than I do. Right. So this is the direction where I'm going. This was the conviction I came to uh, for whatever that's worth. Yeah, I think there's a lot to it. But I think you hit the biggest issue, and that is just to challenge the American mindset of autonomy, that we we just want nobody. I'm free to do whatever I want. Nobody's going to tell me what to do, and I am sovereign over my own life. Like, that's that's the American mindset. Independence. <clears throat> Independence, right. yes. And so I think getting to a place where we're challenging those not because we want to, because we want those things too. We're challenging them because this is what Scripture teaches. So this is us diving in and saying the uncomfortable thing. Well, and I'll tell you what, if it wasn't for Jesus's conversation with Pilate, uh, I think I could have explained it away. Like I, I, would, I have looked at this verse as, well, of course Paul takes this view. He's in Rome. And nor am I, when, when, when I take the view that, well, Paul says this, I'm ignoring the fact that Jesus says, look, if they listen to me, they're going to listen to you also, right? The apostles have authority, and whatever you bind will be bound, whatever you loose will be loosed. So if I just look at Paul, is this other Christian? No, he's more than, a, he's an apostle. He saw the glorified Christ, He right? His words have weight. He's not just some other dude that's offering his perspective. Uh, and so then, with Jesus's words coupled with Paul's, and then you see Peter says the same thing. It's like, okay, I've got to, I've got to yield. Like I, I'm not going to explain this away, or not explain it away. I'm not going to let my preference or my view override what Jesus says, Peter says, Paul says. They know better than me as it relates to what God is doing. Yeah, that's really good. No, definitely. Um, I do think, and we kind of talked about this, Jason, you touched on it as well, um, when we rub up against something we don't like that's usually our will that we want versus God. So Kenny said it again, right, which is real interesting. Then in a couple texts here in Romans, we've had this same thought, this idea of when there are things that we don't like, it's probably more me. It's not God, <laughs> right? It's, it's God's word that it's uncomfortable and I don't want to do those things. So I just think it's a, been an interesting theme. Like I said, the last couple of weeks, you said it, now Kenny said it, just this reminder of as we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind, 
there's probably going to be more and more things that we rub up against that we don't like. Yeah, like, it shows us where that came up was the beginning of chapter 12. Let you just quote a part of it. It shows up when it shows up when we're frustrated with what it says. We're being uh, our our mindset where it says do not be conformed to the pattern of this world that's where it's getting exposed all of a sudden because i feel an emotional angst against what paul's saying here that's me having been conformed to the pattern of the world uh so i'm bumping up against it because my thought my worldview my desires my history is all in one camp and it looks like what the world looks like. And then he's showing me something else, and I don't like it, which means where I'm conformed, I have to be transformed. Well, like you just said, it it, it gets exposed. The reading of the word can expose our heart, and we need that. Yeah. We need that to be revealed so that we can be renewed. Uh, th- that's so vital to growing and changing. And we're part of a different kingdom the kingdom of Jesus, so it should look very different uh, than the way of the world. Uh, Absolutely. And it's hard, but that's okay. Very good. Yep. All right. Well, we do have a few questions we want to dive into. So thanks, everybody, who sent in questions. Um, There's uh, three or four from one person, Phil, uh, sent them in. So I'm just going to read off the first one after we answer it. We'll just attack some of the the next ones. So Romans 3.1, I think he means 13.1, there is no authority except from God. Uh, and those which exist are established by God. So the two points that uh, Kenny pointed out. Uh, he said, Kenny gave examples given in the sermon that were good leaders uh, from Moses through David. Um, please expand on how the Old Testament teaches us to deal with ungodly leadership. It seems that the authority given from God drove Israel's destruction through the evil acts of the kings of the divided kingdom. So are we to learn that the Hebrew people should have stayed true to God's covenant in spite of the evil kings and the people's failure, not the evil kings, caused God's wrath? So I think it's kind of a a twofold question. Um, So is it all on the kings or is it all on the people or is it probably? It's yes, right? (laughs) So the kings have their responsibility to lead people well. But the people have the responsibility to honor God regardless of what the king is doing. So I'd, my first thought is this is a both and, right? The people have to follow, the, follow God, the, the ultimate authority and the ultimate king. And as to expanding on how the Old Testament teaches us to deal with ungodly leadership, I think we even got into that a bit with Nebuchadnezzar and uh, Darius, right? Like, hey, I'll submit. I'm not going to obey uh, and that's an Old Testament reference, and those are not kings of Israel, right? Those are the Persian and the Babylonian empires. So I think we deal with them the way that we saw Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, how they did do it. Jason, you look like you got something to say. Oh, I got lots you to say. You always my got friend something to Phil. say. All right, my <laughs> friend Phil. Here's a couple of thoughts. Um, what you're describing, what we're thinking about, and even in – when Kenny uses the example of David through Moses, that was what we would term a theocracy, right? That God was in charge and he put kings over his people. 
I think that needs to be set aside for this conversation um, because there is no, anywhere in the world, there is no theocracies when Paul is writing this. That didn't exist. The, the Jewish nation is now under the rule of the Romans, under uh, the house of Herod, under the governorship of Pilate. Like, there's no theocracy anymore. So, I, we can't just take those two and, and set them side by side. So, that, that'd be what I would say first. The second thing I would say is, even if that is true, even if we look at, go back to the kings in the Old Testament and say some were good and some were bad, we should have followed the good ones and not followed the bad ones. Let's say that's true. I, I don't know that it has any relevance to what Paul's saying in this text, and here's why. Because let's just look at what the, this text says. We don't have to go outside of these verses to understand what God desires for us as his people. We don't have to go outside. Here's what he says. For there is no authority except that which God has established. And just in case you missed it the first time, the authorities that exist have been established by God. So we don't have to go outside of this text to understand whom Paul is talking about. He says, no authorities. Like there, there are no exceptions to what he's saying here. They all... They are all established by God. The authorities that exist right now in the world that Paul is writing in, they have all been established by God. So we don't have to try to jump through hoops to figure out, does this mean only the godly ones or the ungodly ones? No, he says all of them. So I think, again, we're trying to, we're trying to, shoehorn our ideals into this text that does not allow us to do that. He does not give us an out. Every authority that exists, exists by God. They have been established by him. And so I think this question is just trying to help us weasel away out of this text by going somewhere else and finding an argument that goes against what this text is teaching. There are no exception clauses here. They all exist because God created them and gave them their power to exist. <clears throat> so even if we do go out, so even your godly leaders, you, Saul, you remember David? He, David wouldn't kill Saul. Like I always think of that. He had multiple opportunities, but what did he say? I am not going to harm the Lord's anointed. Like, he even knew that he was next in line, but was just going to do what God called him to do. Right. And think how easy it would, I've been anointed king. I'm to be the king. I can take yeah. you out. <laughs> yeah, but again, so for us as people, we, like you said, we are called to do what we're called to do. And so when we look at the text of what Jason has said, I don't get the out because I have a responsibility, me, just Josh. I have the responsibility to live as if I'm now part of the kingdom of God. And that means that I'm to live in a way that's a lot different. And that does look like submission to authorities and uh, that don't make a lot of sense. And that I could very easily go, well, I don't want to do this. The rest of the world isn't doing this. And God's like, no, but that's not what I've called you to be. And that quote at the end was so helpful that early Christians were 
acknowledged as Christians because of the lives that they lived. Yes. It always just stands out to me. And they knew what, so for me, it was like that list that you read off. I knew what early believers were for. And nowadays it's so much of like what we're against and like we kind of blend in and look like everybody else, but they stood out. That's why Christianity exploded because that people were like, wait a minute, this is so different than what I'm used to seeing or being a part of. Yes. And they wanted to join into it. You know, when you just said there, we're called to submit even when it doesn't make sense. And I think about when they were taken captive and when Israel was taken captive into Babylon and there were people who fought against it and they died. They were okay. And God told them, don't fight like this. You're going away. And then there were people who assimilated to the Babylonians. And then you have like the example, Shadrach, you had the people who it was like subversive, the remnant. They, they prayed for the, as God told them to, Hey, pray for the success and the prosperity of your city uh, of this evil King. That's going to come in and take you out. Pray, bless him, plant your trees, plant your gardens, build your homes, be like the leaven that's, you know, (laughs) you work your way through Uh, and it doesn't make, that would not make sense. I it doesn't make sense. I can't imagine being 25 years old and you're hearing this from God and you're like 70 years, that's the rest of my life. And then some, and I've like, that would make no sense to me, but he's God and I'm not. So I guess. Right. I exactly. So it kind of goes with his next thought, which I think Jason kind of already touched to, but I think it'd be helpful. Uh, real authority. So it's not a question. It's more of a, uh, what's wrong with this logic. So real authority only comes from God. God-given authority would, by definition, be godly. Uh, In contrast, ungodly authority is not God-given. Ungodly governance shows us the authority is not from God. Ungodly governance, therefore, has lost its God-given authority. So he's asking, what's wrong with this logic? What's wrong with the logic? Well, the logic goes directly against the verses that we just read. Yes. That's the, that's <laughs> yeah, the that's, easy answer. And the, I think what he, when you're saying godly, I think, he, I think we think righteous and good. And well, okay, yes, it is by definition godly because God called them to leadership. But it doesn't mean they're going to be righteous in their behavior or reflect God well. Again, it goes we don't even have to go outside of this text if we are to believe that a any authority that doesn't do what god calls is ungodly and thus has no more authority it directly contradicts this verse there is no authority except which that god has established the authorities that exist have been established by God. And again, Paul's writing this to Christians in Rome sitting under Claudius. Go read the history of Claudius. He was a madman. He ended up in three incestuous relationships with his sisters trying to create the perfect heir to take the throne. Like, nobody would look at Claudius and say, oh, he's a godly man. But yet, Paul is writing to these Christians in Rome under Claudius and saying, that man has been established by God. And so this, again, I feel like we're just trying to come up with a workaround for uh, debunking what Paul's writing here. Um, let, Let me 
talk to you guys just as fathers, okay? Fathers have a God-given authority. They've been placed as authority figures over their children. Does your authority get negated because you do not act with perfect godless godliness in the giving of your authority? In no, other words, no, you still have it. Have you ever acted in a way that is ungodly in your parenting? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> is 100%. that question rhetorical? Does it really require you, an answer? Did you need an answer? <laughs> no, I just wanted you to say it out loud. Yes. 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 And feel massive conviction. Right. Yeah. So when we act in an ungodly way toward our children, does that give our children the ability to just buck off all authority that comes from their father because we screwed up yesterday. I don't have to listen to you today. No. No. <laughs> no, that authority is still God-given authority to a father, even though we're broken and sinful, and sometimes we don't act in the righteous way that God has called us to as fathers. We still have that God-given responsibility. So, again, I feel like this is just a this isn't a way for us to try to to conform to the pattern of the world and not be transformed in this text. It is so clear in this verse that we can't we can't just pick and choose. And again, go back to if anybody could have said this you, this is ungodly authority at work, and I don't have to submit. It would have been Jesus standing before Pilate. He could have easily said, you know what? To kill an innocent person, in fact, to kill the Son of God, is the most egregious of all sins. I have done nothing wrong. Nobody has claimed I've done anything wrong. There's been no proof that I've done anything wrong. You now have your authority stripped from you because it is ungodly authority. You are not acting godly. Well, and keep in mind then, too, Jesus had all authority. Right. And he submitted himself to the but established that, I would authority. Say he did not get all authority until after the resurrection. Okay, well, that'd be another episode. <laughs> Matthew 28 <laughs> right. tells us yes. all authority has been given to me because of the resurrection. That's when God exalted him to the highest place to whereby his name is above every name and every knee will bow. So that happened later. However, in this moment, Jesus could have said, your authority over me is no more because you, you are not acting godly. But he didn't. He affirmed his authority. He sure did. You have authority. And the reason you have it is because God has given it to you. And so he submitted to it. So, again, I think we, we just got to make sure that we let the Bible speak. We don't bring our theology to the text. We get our theology from the text. And from this text, there's no way that we can make the argument that there are exception clauses to the authority that, we ha that has been put over us. Fair. Fair. All right, one, uh, a couple more just from Phil. Uh, a little maybe more um, in our wheelhouse here or uh, thinking through the lens of America. 
Uh, what is the role of democracy and free elections when government authorities are established by God? Do people really play a role in deciding which leaders God grants authority? Could Paul have even made his comments with the idea of democracy in mind? The concept sounds like Paul is speaking about a monarchy or authoritarian-ruled government like Rome, maybe even the Jewish authority structure. So, reading the text, seeing what we live in, 21st century USA, is it the same thing? And does it apply to us, I think is the question. So I think we're, this is, they're all, all these questions kind of rhyme, right? There was, now, there was a democracy, there was a Senate in Rome, right? It's not like what we have today. It's not to the extent, et cetera. It's still the Caesar was the ultimate authority, uh, even with the Senate. Uh, and do people play a role in deciding which leaders God grants authority? I have no idea. The text tells us that God puts them in place. Uh, so do we get... I don't know if we get to influence the outcome, but we get to participate in the outcome, I suppose. Uh, so what's the role of democracy in free elections? Uh, that's a fair question, and I really don't know if I'd have a good answer to that. Uh, well, what I would say is, um, in 2016, I remember a whole lot of Christians who went out and voted and then declared God put trump in office no that's true i do recall <laughs> there was a lot of that so they, going yes. on there's a lot of god's chosen it was there. They, yes there there are some memes out there with jesus holding the ballot box for trump i mean there's crazy pictures that are out there so again this might come back to we believe it's god's will when we when agree it's our guy <laughs> that's when yes it's our guy it does sound that way that it is our it is god's will this comes down to the question of the sovereignty of God. Do we believe that God is sovereign or do we not? Mm -hmm. So if you believe that God is sovereign, God's sovereignty works itself out through methods in the real world. Okay? So we believe in the sovereignty of God. God, it was God's plan that Jesus die. How is it that Jesus died? Through the Romans. Because Judas sold him out, and the Jews uh, had him arrested, and the Romans were persuaded, and they didn't want to write. It all happened through natural means. And so, yes, what I would say is this, this question absolutely impacts it doesn't matter if it's a democracy or a theocracy. It doesn't matter if it's a dictatorship or a monarchy. When Daniel 4 says, every nation is given by God and their leaders are placed over them by God, I believe that's true. I don't believe that there is a way for us to usurp the will of God to accomplish something that God did not want accomplished, that we're going to put someone in power that God didn't want empowered, that we're going to be able to upset the will of God, that we're going to overthrow God's sovereignty because we put more banners in our yards. Like, I just don't think that's how this exists. So could this question... Um, here, here's another thought. Like, the question is, 
Could Paul even make his comments with the idea of democracy in mind? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, again, this isn't about, he's not talking about any specific form of government. He's not even talking just about government. He's talking about all authorities, all of them. He's talking about the authorities in your city, the authorities in your home, the authorities in the church, the authorities in our families, the authorities at your school. He's talking about the ticket taker at the movie theater who has authority <laughs> over you to let you know whether or not you can go in. He's talking about the authority that the uh, the guy who inspects your car when you have to get a car inspection. We don't really do those in Arizona, but some people do. <laughs> that that they have authority and that authority has been given by God and we are to respect that authority. So this isn't just about a king or a monarch. So all of them, all authority has been given by God and and God puts over nations whomever he wants. Now, he will use natural means, I'm assuming, to make those things happen. We get to participate. We should leverage every right we have to go vote. We should leverage every right to stand up for what we believe in and to uh, use the courts as necessary to accomplish what we feel like are biblical, godly goals. We should leverage all that our uh, Republic gives us in ways to impact this, but at the end of the day, we're going to trust that God is sovereign over all of it. And when we choose to rebel, this is the part that I think, again, this part we don't get. Verse 2, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority, whatever authority that is, whether you like them or like, don't like them, agree or don't agree, if you're rebelling against the authority, you are rebelling against what God has instituted. Like you're rebelling against God and those who do will bring judgment on themselves. Now, one of the things that I would quibble with you just a bit, Kenny, in your message is you focused on that word judgment. You focused on natural consequences that come through getting arrested or ending up in prison or the judicial system or paying the fine. I I think, as I look at this, I think that the judgment could just as much be claimed that they're going to experience a judgment from God. Like this when we isn't stand before just him. about a natural judgment, that this is actually because you're rebelling. He doesn't say you're rebelling against the authorities. He says when you do that, you're rebelling against the God who gave them the authority. And so God is the God of judgment in those moments. So I think there could actually be a spiritual judgment, not just a natural judgment. Very well could be. We're all going to find out. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Which would, again, make sense too with what we talked about last week, uh, live at peace. So it depends on you, right? With everyone. If we're riling up and always causing difficulties and division and divisiveness, that doesn't sound like peace, right? Like Agreed. if we're always just... That's and that's so much of our culture now is always just so ramped up, ready to cause a fight and an argument and be divisive. And you hear Paul again. We have this a chapter break uh, for sure, but I, 
what he just said in 12 doesn't just disappear. <laughs> right. we, we still are called to live at peace. So, so that's the question, which I think can tie into this next one, because it is a question. I think that's how do we reconcile revolution? And so he's meaning like American revolution, those kind of things with godly authority. So he says, history shows us a lot of Christians that fought wars to overthrow unjust governments with supposedly God-given authority. Now, I don't think supposedly they are God-given authority. So how do we how do we do that as believers? What does that look like? And I know there is a myriad of different beliefs on this, even where Christians land, right? So where, how do we disciple people in this? Like, what is the What's the thing? How do we do it? I'm a little confused. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm thinking of the question. Okay, we said history shows a lot of Christians fought wars to overthrow unjust governments. He used the example of World War II. Well, there were German Christians that fought for the Nazis. So what do we do with that? Right? Yeah. There, there were 13, almost 14 million German soldiers. How many of those were Christians? And, you know, and you're talking pushing 100 years ago, 80 years ago. So Christianity had a bigger place in Europe at that time than it does today. I mean, the Protestant uh, Reformation started, started there. Germany. Yeah, it's kind big of deal. a big deal. Yeah. So we could play both sides of that, right? Okay, yeah, we had unjust governments, unjust leadership, and we had Christians fighting against it, and we had Christians fighting for it. Maybe we should do what Jesus says and not repay evil for evil, and let's love our enemies. And, you know, we're trying to live by a completely different value set. So, again, I think this is where we, we're going to have disagreement. Um, I mean, I, for one, would not lean into that text at that moment. I think this comes back to, look, we had... We are to submit, subject ourselves to governing authorities, which most of the time means we do what we're told. There are two caveats that you shared, right? Here's, here's the caveats. Here's our outs. When the government requires us to do something God forbids, or the government forbids something that God requires. Okay, so let's put those two into, use those two as a filter for these examples, the American Revolution was spawned out of the Puritans desiring to worship God outside of the Anglican Church or the Church of England. Okay, so the Church of England had set themselves up as the power broker in the in the nation, and the Puritans who wanted to be more biblical in their understanding said, "We can't do that." That's that's, that goes against what we believe God's calling us to. That's why they moved to the new land to begin with. Right, so they didn't pick a fight. They left. They left. And then England said, no, we're, we're going to keep a hold of all of this and continue to try to rule and reign over them. And that's where the rebellion began. Okay, so yes, there, it was about taxes and throwing the tea into the whatever, but it all began with the government forbidding things that God commands his people to do. In, in light of biblical worship, we can't do it the way that the Church of England is calling us to do that, and that's where it spawned 
where that re- revolution spawned out of. When we're talking about the Nazis in World War II, again, we can look at it and say, yes, and Hitler was in charge and he was the authority. But then he began to command things God forbid and to forbid things God commanded. Like, people want to paint him as a Christian. He was not a Christian. You go watch any of the stuff. He was not. He was not following Jesus, okay? And he wanted to eradicate a race of people. And for at that moment, we have not only a right but a duty to stop that kind of evil. We have been given the command of God to lay down our lives for our brothers. We have been given the, the command of God to protect widows and orphans. And if it costs me my life, I should do that. And that was what was happening. They were murdering people. Uh, take care of the orphan and the stranger in your land. That is command of God. How can I say I'm fulfilling that command if I'm letting the Nazi soldiers just walk into into uh, villages and slaughter all of these native Jewish people who are living in the German land? So, again, he is he was forbidding what God commanded and commanding what God forbade. So. I think in both of those instances, they fit in under this criteria of where revolution can and should happen, that we can't just sit idly by while six million people are being murdered. The Americans had a duty to go in and to stop that kind of evil. I think biblical duty to do so. Um, and in the same way, that God would bring justice against the Israelites by bringing in the Babylonians to wipe out their, or the Persians to wipe out when they got evil, or the Chaldeans to wipe out when they go through, that I think God could very well have used the allies to walk into Europe and to put that evil under judgment. Um, So, I would be disagreeing with you. I don't think the answer in the day of 1944 was to uh, to love our enemy, Hitler. I think it was to... <laughs> well, yeah, I see that more as an interpersonal thing. <laughs> <laughs> it was to love our neighbor as ourself and be willing to put our lives on the line to save them from the evil that was coming across the world. I'm like Eugene Peterson. I just... W- I want to have the courage to be a pacifist. The courage to be a pacifist. That's where I think I am. I don't know, man. I just... Yeah. All right. Next question. Uh, Now you're going to start now. See, this is a good part of our our team is we don't all think alike on this. Um, Honestly, I don't know, man. So so one of the... I'll never forget a conversation I had. So I was at my very first church and... uh, so for context, mostly older folks. It was an older, well, I think older. It was only like fifty-year-old church. You know, Quad City's a hundred years. So, I guess kind of middle-aged church. Um, <laughs> but there was a Bible study that met at our church. It really was more of a small group, life group. They kind of discussed the sermon questions, um, and they would eat and take field trips. So they're retired. That's what you get to do, right? Um, they called themselves the Senior Moments Group. Thought it was just very clever, but anyhow, 
we got to talking once about World War II and about dropping the bombs. I mean, most of them were alive or had family and had pretty vivid memories. And I just remember like asking, there was one guy in there, his name was Carl Oney, just a great guy. And I go, hey man, like ultimately what FDR did or didn't do, I, I, I don't know. Like I wasn't in charge, I'm not a president, but did, as a believer, did anybody ask yourselves like in how does this fit within the kingdom of god or were we just okay with it or did it at least cause us to pause and just stop for a minute and think man is this what god really would be calling us to do because so much of the talk is this is what god is calling us to do we are called to do this and I'll never remember, Carl was like, man, Josh, that's a great question. I don't know. He goes, but we probably should think that way. Again, I don't know whether or not it's right or wrong. I, I mean, I, I don't know if dropping the time, it's a lot of things, right? But I just want to be in a place that my faith is so united with Jesus that I'm at least pausing to ask myself, is this actually the thing that Jesus would do if he was Josh? Would he participate in that kind of stuff? Or would he say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm not going to fight these unjust wars. And again, I think we could go either way you wanted. You could make me think it's just, and I could make you think it's unjust. I don't know. But I think that's the question in some of this is, and I don't know where I land on it. I think it's a case-by-case thing. And I wasn't there, so that's a, it does make it a lot easier for me um, to sit on the outside of it, not knowing I didn't have to get drafted into it. So I... By no means I'm disrespecting that generation. I just wonder, like, because I know some of the propaganda was in churches saying how this is a very biblical thing. Did any because they did the same thing with slavery? So again, my mind is like, we can make the Bible say anything we want to say to justify just about anything. So I always ask myself, is this really what the Holy Spirit of God would lead me to? And I don't know. Again. Yeah, we probably should, we should stop Hitler. I agree with you. Does that mean I'm sent to murder and kill people? I don't know, man. I don't know where that falls. Well, let's take it a little closer to home. And imagine for a moment that we that's happened so many times, not just in schools but in churches, that a gunman comes down into our children's ministry. And they are just going from room to room. And Josh, you have the opportunity. You got a gun, and he's getting ready to walk in our into our twos and threes, and there are eighteen kids in there and two ladies. And either you're gonna shoot him or he's gonna shoot them. Are you a pacifist in that moment? I don't know. I don't know if I have a gun in that moment. I'm telling you, you do. You got but, it. I, but again, my you whole do. part is I don't think I do. Like, I think so you're people. running them over, Josh. You're <laughs> yeah, taking like, I'm bullets. I'm not saying I don't here. fight. I'm not saying I don't jump on people. I don't think I'm not even. I would lay my life down, Jason. Oh, because for that's sure. the call. But my call is not to kill. Jesus doesn't tell me to kill. Now, if me running and tackling and getting them down, me trying to shoot them in the leg, man, hopefully if I have a gun I'm carrying and I at least am some kind of marksman, obviously we all know that's not the case probably. <laughs> but again, we instantly, I, my, my point is, I think Christians are just really okay, much more okay now with violence than we ever should be. 
that's part of it. Like we just, I'd say that's true. Violence is just always our answer. And I just am not sure if that's again, when he uses Peter's example, Jesus says, put your sword away. This kingdom will not be won that way. Yeah. No, no, no. We're not talking about trying to convert that guy to Jesus in that moment. No, I'm not saying that either. Again, I don't (laughs) know if I have the gun though. And I don't know if I'm taking it again. There are people though, who have done that and they have consciences that they wrestle with. And again, I don't think we do enough for service people, even in that, that have had to make those kinds of decisions. They are wrestling with that. There are guys. Very few. I mean, talking to our security guys or former police. Yeah. Very few of them have any regrets of, yeah, I took a person's life, but I saved 18 kids. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying you're going to need to do some therapy. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. You outweigh the thing. You're well, like, that's why I'm glad that there are people and we pay people. Yes. On our, that I, again, I don't know, man. Again, that's where I'm at. Is I honestly can say, would I hold the door down and take all? Yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm at that place in my life where I would do that. Would I fire the shot? I don't know. I really, well, I, th- I really honestly just don't know, man. Uh, yeah, we don't know until we're in this situation. I'm not okay with violence as a practice, but sometimes the only way to stop violence is to bring the violence. It, it's a greater force, right? I mean, I even use the examples of the shootings in Park, right? Yeah. That, what's the text say, right? God's agent of wrath. Okay, and that agent of wrath might be a Christian. That officer, that soldier might or might not be. Uh, and there is there is a place, unfortunately, for it because of the world we live in. Like, I don't think we should be propagating violence. I don't think we should be instigating violence. I don't think that should be the first line. Like, do what I say or I'm going to lock you in a cage. Do what I say or you're going to get shot. Do what I, No, that's... And the whole, I think, too, of loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you and turning the other cheek is in our interaction with one another. I think things get dicier and harder when you're talking about the, the drastic situation like that you just described, which does happen, or you're talking on a global, national scale. Uh, there's so many other factors at play. Yeah, and it's, this is very emotional. And here's what I would hope, even as we're having this conversation on this podcast, I would hope that those of you who are listening to this would recognize that good godly men can sit and have this conversation and not be in complete agreement that we're still wrestling with how this plays out for us. And so with so much of this, it is not black and white. And we're still trying by the power of the spirit to learn to have our minds transformed. We've all been conformed to one way how can we continue to ask the Spirit to transform us to make sure that we're walking um, as Jesus has called us to? So I love the vulnerability of you guys that we're all kind of sharing a little bit. And we're not all on the same page with this, and and that's okay. We're still going to love each other after this. And, and pray that I'm never in that situation. Uh, yes. Yeah, did, never, that did, any of us have to get in that Did you just highlight that Christians can sit in a room, <laughs> disagree with each other, and not like then disparage each other or quit oh, will, on one another or that. leave. <laughs> like you just said, we can disagree and we we're still a family. That's like, right. How yeah, about 100%. that? We should try that. We should try that. Okay, a couple more questions because I, I want to get to these. I think they're really good too. So, uh, another question kind of uh, about our freedoms, maybe this kind of fits in here. So, 
Uh, will Quad City support Rosa Park-like civil disobedience by staying open or submit and close their doors to public services the next time an authority orders the church shut down for what the authorities consider an emergency? So obviously, we know this is talking about 2020 and COVID. I, I wasn't here during that, so I don't know. I've kind of heard some of the, hey, how the church operated, but it may be helpful for just a just keep it short, though. As short, yeah. like, hey, what did we do? And what was the driver behind that? Because, again, it wasn't made in an echo chamber. I know right. it was probably the elders' decisions. I know anything big like that is yeah. always those decisions. So kind of around that, and then if there is a next time. I don't, I don't even know if we can predict right. anything. And that. so here's the thing with COVID. At that time, what did we know? China and Northeast Italy were on fire. Right, like that's what you knew, and then it was coming here. So, okay, New York and New York. Okay, and what's what's the sensible thing based on the information you have at the time? Right, you make the the best decision you can make with the decision you have at the time. And so, what in in trying to figure out what to do in the matter of hours, it went from like no groups over a hundred to no groups over fifty to no groups over ten to no groups. Period. Yet there was never churches can't meet. It was this, like, I don't think dudes, the governor ever said church, but I think at that time, if I remember correctly, we did what we thought was best in the moment. And then we have a few weeks into it. Like, we were the last church to close and the first one to open. We're like six weeks in, we're like, all right, it's time to open back up. And we staged it in stages and trying to do what we could. So, I don't, like, to your point, though, I don't know if there'll be a next time. So, yeah, we, we learned a lot. And this was a once-in-a-lifetime thing for most people, like, last time something like this happened was in 1919 right and so this was a nobody who was leading anything had ever gone through this so we were all trying to figure it out on our own um what i would say is yes in the beginning our heart was we just want to make sure that our people are well there was a lot of unknowns a lot of questions there was a lot of things that were being told and there had been no research to confirm whether or not it was true. And so there was a higher level of trust at the beginning that what we were learning, what we were told, was true. And so, uh, yeah, I think we shut down. It might have been for eight or nine weeks. I can't remember what it was. Um, March 20th, we had service. Yes. Which was a week after everyone else did. And we yes. were open by Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. So we, we felt... Um, but again, we did that. Uh, we have an elder who's uh, a doctor, and we had these consultations. We've had we've got several doctors in our church, and I talked to several of them, um, and a few of them did not come even when we opened back up because they thought we had made the wrong decision by opening up. And these are local physicians here that we love and admire. Um, but there was this feeling of no, we. We should, as best we can, as safely as possible, with love and grace for our community, we think that church, the gathered body of Christ, is is essential. You know, there was that whole conversation, what's essential and non-essential. All non-essential gathering is out. We come to believe, we sincerely believe that the gathered church is essential. And so um, the tipping point was the state's attorney came out with a review and said this uh, executive order does not apply to churches. And as soon as that happened, we said, okay, 
And we don't, we didn't want to break laws. We wanted to honor and subject ourselves. But as soon as the conversation came around that it does not apply to churches, we were back meeting the next week. So I think the answer to the question is we will do our best to honor Romans 13. Um, And if it comes down to it, to where again, the government is forbidding something that God commands, we will not relent. At the beginning, it, it wasn't, it did not seem at the time that the government was forbidding something God commanded. Um, there is no command that we have to come to a building for an hour, and that's the only way that worship happens. That's not a biblical idea of worship. So there are other ways to worship. However, the gathered body in the room is essential and important. And as soon as we uh, recognize that we would not be infringing upon our government, nor we believed that we were endangering our people, because that is a big deal too, um, then we came back and started meeting again. Um, and it was a slow rollout. Uh, those people came back as they were comfortable, and we did our social distancing pieces and had extra services and made people register and we did all the things that we could to make it as safe as possible for those who are ready to gather back and worship. So did we do it right? I don't know. Probably not. Nobody did anything right. Whichever side you landed on, you were ticking <laughs> off a half of your people. So we navigated the best we could and we have better understanding next time. So I guess that's the only thing I can say about that. Right. Just, Again, even back to the conversation we just had, extending grace and Hmm. love to people who may be on the other side and trying to figure it out and not questioning their commitment to God or, or, oh, you're not a believer if you believe this or believe that. And it's really easy as people to become the one-sided and vilify the other side. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's that's the danger in not really seeking the spirit and trying to follow that and trying to trust that. And so, um, we'll appreciate that. Thanks for your honesty and clarity there. Okay. Last question Uh, with regards to obeying, honoring and not obeying and the method for doing that. Here's a specific question. So that's what they say. How should pastors and people in churches in Prescott address the various schools in Prescott along with the, the board members, who are allowing and or uh, promoting children to question their gender. Um, There are a number of schools that have books in their libraries that do this, um, as well as teachers who have raised the question um, with students. So first off, let me just say, um, I'm not saying any of this is fact or any of this is like truth or, or this is just the question we have. So we as a church are not, saying this about PUSD schools and teachers. We have teachers that go to our place. We love them. We have teachers who serve in private schools. We have moms who homeschool. So like, I'm not, I'm not claiming that this is fact. So I, I right. want to take that out of that. And I also just want to say as a dad with three kids and soon to be four, we've had nothing but incredible interactions with the staffs at the school my kids go to. Um, my kids have moved halfway through a school year, um, and they have been nothing but great. Uh, one of my kids was a little behind, and they have been nothing but supportive trying to get him caught up. Um, 
every time I go to a, a school assembly, my kids are saying the Pledge of Allegiance, singing "God Bless America." They're doing all those things. Like if anything, like Propaganda. my kids are, like, yeah, like if anything, <laughs> like they know America in Prescott schools. So, um, so as a parent, I like I don't have that fear, but I also probably parent a lot differently because I. And constantly engaging in these conversations with my kids because my kids are going to be around friends in different environments, um, parents who are divorced. My kids got to know what that means. Parents who may have this, they may have friends who struggle with sexuality. I want my kids to be able to love them and show them Jesus in a way that they're a light wherever they are in the midst of darkness. And so, again, so I, I would just say like how, how we approach any of this is. We're having these conversations a lot. When I was a kid, my parents didn't talk about anything. And I've decided we're going to go the opposite. So my kids are probably always going to be in therapy anyway. So yeah. let's just make it. But again, me and Judah had the talk of sexuality last year. At summer, it was just me and him. And I said, hey, I want to tell you the truth so that when you hear the lies, you know what the truth is. And if you have any questions, come and talk to me. He's going into, he's going into fourth grade. That's about the time. People around the playground are talking about <laughs> foolish things as little boys, right? Yes. So I wanted my kid to at least have the formation of truth. And this is the conversation that we will continue to have about sex and sexuality and gender in a world that, yes, viewpoints are shifting and changing. And so, again, but I don't want to just blanket throw people and say they're doing a horrible job. So that's just me. Y'all can answer the question how you want. So then the question was how do church people, church members yes, deal with deal with gender issue specifically in PUSD? It's yeah, and really, I think maybe just I probably just assume societally is is as well. So but yes, our people are here in Prescott. So I, my first thought is make sure you're educated. Uh, like when the statement is made, okay, teachers are promoting this, there's books that are like, make sure you know what you're talking about, right? You want to make sure that that's the fact of the matter. Uh, and especially if you have a kid in the school district and that, that like, do you, you have three, soon to be four kids in that school district, three now, uh, then you have a horse in the race. Yeah. So you, we should be engaged with things related to what they're being taught, uh, and I also don't think this has to be something that the church as an organization addresses. I think it could be things that if this is something that matters to you as a Christian and as a parent, as some people, I think of Frank who takes his his passion about the homeless. He didn't wait for the church as an organization to do something to serve the homeless. So if this is something that, then go, then do, address. Get educated and address and treat people respectfully and with honor and that's my take. So, a couple of things that I would say. Um, how should pastors and people in churches in Prescott address various schools in Prescott, along with PUSD board members, who are allowing promoting children to question their gender? Um, I don't have authority as a pastor over the administrator of a school. So... My only authority comes as a parent. So I don't know how as a pastor I can speak to this except to speak to the other parents in my church and say, hey, here's God's design for marriage. Here's God's design for sexuality. These are conversations we've had all the way through the book of Romans, back to chapters 1 and 2. 
I want to teach our people what this looks like, and I want to teach our students what this looks like. You know, we have a lot of young people who sit in our our auditorium. In fact, we don't do high school ministry on Sunday mornings simply because we want them to be integrated into the life of the church. And so, me speaking about those things is a desire to help them to understand the difference between God-ordained gender and sexuality and worldly gender and sexuality. So that's my job in the in the uh, sphere of influence that I've been given. As it relates to the school, every parent has the right to, to do what's right for their kids. And I think you should leverage every opportunity that you've been given. You should write to the school board. You should attend school board meetings. You should be able to go to the library and address specific books that you see that might be harmful. You should volunteer at your kid's classroom um, and see what's happening firsthand. Like You have the right to do all of those things. You should take advantage of every parent-teacher conference. Those are access points that you have to engage in what your kids are doing. Here's what we know. There are bad teachers, and there are bad cops, and there are bad pastors, and there are bad parents, and there are bad bakers. Like, every every organization and every institution has some bad apples in it. Could there be parent or teachers in PUSD who are teaching nefarious things related to these issues. A hundred percent. And there are some people in our community that call themselves pastors that are teaching the same thing. In fact, they're building a set up right next door to the school district offices. What does what do what is my job as a pastor to deal with those other pastors? quote unquote pastors. I don't have the authority over them. Okay. So wherever I have influence, I should leverage my influence. You should leverage every opportunity that you have to address these issues. And if at the end of the day, you find those issues unsatisfactory, unsatisfactorily uh, addressed, you have in this community other options. You can choose a charter school. You can choose a private school. You can choose to homeschool. You can choose an online school. Like there are a plethora of options now to do what is best for your kid. So we don't have to put our kids into environments where we know that they are being taught things that we would not want them to be taught. We don't have to uh, to do that. Um, and so utilize the freedom that we've been given in America to address these issues in an honorable way. You can do it in an honorable way. And so where it is you find it, go do something about it. Um, and then if what you what they do in return does not fit what you want for your kid, then go find a different option. Okay. It's a right. solid answer. Solid answer. I, I will not I, um, I'm assuming the person who wrote this will not be running for the president of my fan club no probably not probably not yeah <laughs> yeah and again I just know too uh, the school 
curriculum is online. I have a couple of teachers who always make sure to remind me of that. Hey, if you want to see what they're teaching, it is out there. Again, like you said, that doesn't mean in closed doors that people can't say stuff. Th- exactly right. right. They're going to share their opinions. Right. In in moments, and they're not yeah. going to write it down. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, that's going to happen again, though. I, I, but here's what I would say: I had coaches or teachers who, you know, were doing heterosexual sins that we just approved of because we thought it was great. Like, oh, look at him; he's twenty something. You know, he's talking about all the things he's doing. And I'm like, wait a minute! I don't want you telling that to my kids again. We have it in this this context of gender. But I also don't want some teacher just telling my kids it's cool to hook up and get as many girls as you can. Because you're handing out condoms and liquor. It's probably for prom a, night. Probably a bad idea. That's, I don't recommend but, that. But teachers have, and yeah. they do. It yeah. happens. Again, the whole thing is we live in a world where sin abounds, and our kids. It doesn't matter once they leave. The elementary school, they're going to go to middle school. And when they leave middle school, they're going to go to high school. When they leave high school, they're going to go to college. When they go to college, then they're going to the workforce. And this stuff is going to be there every step along the way. And if there's something in us that thinks that we're going to be able to shield our people, our children, from these things, I think we're just fooling ourselves. But how do we equip them to know the truth and to follow the truth and to have answers for when these questions come up. I would much rather have a child that is being taught something in their class and they have a rebuttal for it that than to go through and never have any of these things questioned and then get out into the real world unequipped to have the conversations that are going to get get even more blatant the, the, the later they go. So it's, it's incumbent upon me as a father to have these conversations with my kids to equip them uh, in the face of all of this that's coming down the cultural ramp. It's not just in schools. It's in the media. It's in the movies. It's everywhere. It's not going away. This is not a battle that we're going to be able to win uh, politically. It, no, or- we, can, we just can't. It's not a, ba- a ballot box thing. We're not going to win. The culture war is over, and we have lost. That's, that's just the reality. So how do we equip our kids to have these conversations, to put in them a deeper understanding of truth than what the teachers can give them? And that's, I think that's the point for me is like my job as a parent, as a dad, is to have the conversation. That's right. As like the, that it's just not leaving it up to Jason to disciple my kids to, or to Corey or to Colin. Like those, those guys are an assisting to me. They assist me in my, my job to disciple my kids. Like God's going to ask Josh, how, what did you do with the four boys that I gave you? How did you help to disciple them? And I, cause I know so much of my general, at least for me, I didn't have parents who were Christians. They didn't talk about anything. It was just Sunday. We go to church and then we went home and we lived six different you know, days a week were different than the one day on Sunday. And so for me, all of these issues always go back to, dude, I have got to be engaged as a parent. Even if this stuff wasn't there, even we know it is darkness has always been there. It just changes its form and what it looks like and how it's spelled. I have to be the person who is actively wanting to have these conversations and they're really difficult and they're awkward. It's easier to just ignore it. <laughs> like who wants to, yeah. who wants to talk to your 16 year old boy about, the, you know, like, it, but again, if you just got to lean in, you just got to have, be willing to have that really hard conversation. And, um, 
and to do that. And what I know is I want my house also to be for when my sons invite their friends over that these kids see a mom and a dad. They see normal things that even their friends can ask stuff because they're like, man, I don't know, Josh and Diane, there's something different. Maybe my home doesn't have that because that's what saved me as a kid. I didn't have the normal two-parent home with Christians and being able to hang out with Christian people and see a life that was different made me want to be like, I want to do this. This is what I want my home to be like. And so I want that for our kids as well, to bring those friends over that we can help show them the light. Let me wrap up this thought with this thought. Do not hear us saying you should just accept it and move on. No. That's not what we're saying. Leverage every opportunity that we've been given to influence what your kids are being taught. You should know it. You should ask the questions. You should show up to the PTA meetings. You should show up to the school board meetings. You should ask the questions. Interview your kids. What are you being taught in social studies related to these issues? These are questions that you can have that will help you to equip your children moving forward. Where there are bad apples, they should be removed, and we should leverage whatever influence and rights that we have to make that happen. If they are sharing pornographic books in the libraries, somebody should walk into the library, check it out, and reveal that. And there would be an uprising among our community to address that concern. Like, we... Just doing the the stuff on the internet and just typing stuff on the internet isn't going to change it. There, we've been given lots of on ramps to get into uh, to the right rooms to have the right conversations with the right people to address these issues. We should look into how, who's on the school board. Like that's one. Nobody wants to run for the school board or few people want to run. And sometimes the ones that do are really crazy. We need normal people (laughs) who love kids and love schools on the school board. Run for the school board. Make like leverage every opportunity that you have to address these issues. So at the end of the day, though, we're never going to protect our kids from all the stuff that's out there. So we have to disciple them well. Awesome. Anything to close that, out? That's a great final word. Right great there. final word. All right, guys. Thanks for uh, listening. I know it's a little bit longer, but appreciate you guys tuning in with us. Well, that's a wrap on episode 37 of our podcast. Just want to thank you for tuning in and listening uh, with us, however and whenever you did. Uh, Just as a reminder, as always, if you have any questions that you would like to have answered right here on the show, you can do so by simply heading over to our website, quadcity.church slash Romans, and you can uh, shoot those questions and we'll make sure that we answer them for you. As always, I hope that uh, this content uh, better equipped you and your walk with Jesus and allows you to have more conversation around the word of God. Again, thanks for listening. Thanks uh, for tuning in. Can't wait to chat again real soon.